1: The race is on, and the 2022 Formula 1 season is just around the corner, with all new cars, some big driver news, and the potential for the biggest shake-up in years. But how high should our expectations be, and will it be the usual suspects at the front, or could there be a shift in the balance of power? I'm Ed Straw, and joining me to answer those questions and many more are Gary Anderson and Mark Hughes. Well, Gary, how are you? You must be excited about new regulations. That's That's exactly in your wheelhouse as a former technical director, surely.
2: Yeah, I am excited about them. I just I sort of wish they weren't quite so prescriptive. I've uh, I've spent a few days having a look through them to try and understand what you can do and what you can't do, and uh, it's it's really really very difficult. I mean, if we thought last year we saw um, lawyers getting involved in the the politics of it all, you didn't see nothing yet. I think um, because to be honest, it's, it's it's again it's all wording. There is no real illustrations as to what you can do. Um, so it's interpretation of a massive, massive amount of wording in a completely different direction. So I'm expecting, uh, a little bit of controversy, especially early on as to what's right and what's wrong, how they're interpreted. But, um, yeah, a new challenge, you know, for everybody, um, as I say, very prescriptive, but still the detail there, you can still find stuff. So I'm, I am expecting some of the good guys to, to really scratch their head and, uh, and bring something good to the table.
1: I presume there's your design. There's, what would it be, a Jordan 222 somewhere in your head after those few days of studying the regs, I presume?
2: Uh, No, that's impossible. Um, It really is impossible, actually. You know, with the old regulations, although I criticised them many, many times, you could actually sit down and and read them for a a while and get a bit of a picture in your mind as to what you could do. This is completely different. This, you've definitely got to start drawing stuff out, and that was your um, two different solutions uh, you know, there's two directions you could take, and then and then somewhere in between them, you have got to find the right the, the right solution. So it is a very different approach, to be honest. And um, at a time whenever, you know, we're getting the budget cuts, and the budget cuts means there's there's personnel cuts. It's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge to get all those opportunities put down on paper and and well and truly researched and understood. So, um, I I don't envy anybody having to do that, to be honest. Right at this point in time, I, it's not you know. I'm a hands hands on uh, type bloke and, and this is so far from a hands on approach, you wouldn't you couldn't comprehend it.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. If anyone has a look at the regs, it's all very much this and that box and various coordinates for things, et cetera. So it's a, it's quite different. But Mark Hughes, before we get your thoughts on twenty twenty two, how do you feel about saying farewell to the last generation of cars? Twenty seventeen to twenty one, fastest F one cars over a single lap in history.
0: Yeah I mean it's uh, it's ready I think it's ready for something fresh and and new. Uh there we, we've had our moments. We've just had the most fantastic season with with that, um generation of cars. So I, I I don't judge it harshly um but yeah I think of them as um sort of the the sort of super downforce mega cars that uh you know that that we'll probably be remembered in history for that as um, certainly the fastest for a while in, in terms of lap times. I, I expect we might be um, sort of approaching the lap times maybe a year from now, if we, if we take is what the uh, the various people up and down the teams are, are saying. I think they expect a bit to be about a year and a bit before we're approaching current lap times, but let's see. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm ready for a change, certainly.
1: I like that phrase, super downforce mega cars." I think that's what we'll refer to that era as from now on as, a, as an official name. But yeah, well, there's lots to talk about with the new cars we'll see this season and also some of the other storylines that will crop up. So as a first topic, Gary, whenever there's major rule changes, there's always the possibility of a reshuffle of the competitive order. Everyone always remembers Braun leaping to the front in 2009. Do you expect things to change significantly in terms of that competitive order or will it be more of the same at the front?
2: Well, I think whenever we saw Braun leap to the front, um, it was a surprise, um, mainly because of Honda um, going going back to Japan. Um, but I think the, the the research had been done the year before when they were quite a big, well financed team. So you know, from my point of view, it was lovely to see what was classified as a small team uh, competing in the world championship and doing a great job. But in reality, that's not what happened. Uh, the whole the, the foundation was laid well before. Uh, Honda disappeared. this is a completely different sort of, kettle of fish. Um This is all oh, a brand new set of regulations brand, brand new interpretation as to how the car should function um, and in, in line with that um, we 've got budget cuts or, or budget control um, we 've got wind tunnel wind tunnel time allocation um, changing depending upon which team you are um, but it's you know, it's it 's always going to be difficult to to beat the big boys, no matter who you are. I mean, I would go into this year, if I was involved with it, I would go into this year um, full of optimism. Because if we do just happen to click onto that correct direction in the first, in the early stages of the season, then there is a chance that a team, you know, IE, and I relate back to Jordan, there is a team like Aston Martin um, or, you know, Renault or uh, teams that have been competitive, there is a chance that can happen again very, very quickly but it will be for a, a a bit of a limited time to be honest that's the problem um because the others will steam ahead and catch up with you but but that said you've got to be really lucky to find that solution so i, I i'm not really seeing a big difference um uh, between the fight at the front between Mercedes and and Red Bull um i would hope that Ferrari could notch another another notch up the ladder and get a bit closer to them i'd hope McLaren could do the same um and as for the, the from there on in, you're talking about the smaller teams as such. I mean, Renault shouldn't be classified as a smaller team, but they always keep saying they're a smaller team with lower budgets. So they're they're writing their own sort of story. Um, they are work. They're a works team. If they can't raise the funds for the minimum for the budget con- control threshold, then the, you know they really shouldn't be in Formula One as a as a works team. But I I I don't see a big change there. The the thing for me would be. This, you know, to currently, and in 20, 2021, we had the, the saga about the, uh, the rake, high rake, low rake. I've sort of raked my head, my brains. Raked my brains? Oh, there you go. No pun meant. Um, as to what would be the best for this solution. And I can't see why a high rake car would be wrong. Because, you know, it's all about a ground effect. There's going to be a bigger percentage of downforce created from underneath the car. Um, and in reality, as long as you can get some type of system working down the sides of the car, to stop the leakage, then uh, I still believe a high rate car will, will generate more downforce than a low rate car. So it'll be interesting to see which which path the teams take at the beginning of the year. But uh, if I was doing it, I'd be putting, you know, 75% of my research into the high rate solution and maybe 25 into the low rate solution, just to, you know, just to make, keep keep yourself topped up as to what's going on. And the you know, the turning vanes on the underfloor, the leading edge of the underfloor, they're going to be critically important. Uh, Working that barge boards to actually help seal that part of the floor. So, the man that can see airflow, and as far as I'm concerned, is reputed to be able to see airflow. Adrian Newey um, should be able to be in a position to do a good job for uh, for these new regulations.
1: Well, you haven't got a bad wind tunnel in your own head as well, there, Gary. So, uh, maybe not quite in the class of Adrian Newey, but who is? He's out on his own, isn't he? So, uh, no bad, no bad thing to be second best to. But Mark. When it comes to trying to work out what the potential of teams is, there, there's kind of two factors, aren't there? There's the the resources and the facilities they have, which which has kind of closed up to an extent with the, the cost cap and the area limitations, but there's still going to be big teams and smaller teams in terms of uh, the legacy knowledge and that kind of thing. And then the other thing is the designs and the clever concepts they come up with, etc. So... What's the sum total of that going to be? Do you think there will be a, a kind of narrowing in the ultimate potential of the teams? And if there is, will that actually manifest itself in 2022, or is that going to be a longer term effect?
0: I think there will be a time lag because, as you say, the, you know, the the the, the, leg, the legacy of all the knowledge built up during the time that they've had those greater resources will will carry on for a few years, even though there's been a, a reset with the cars themselves. It's still, you know, even though the cars change, the knowledge is, that that gives you the, the car is, is, is still there, and a lot of it will still be relevant. But yeah, I, I think in theory, once the regulations have run long enough that there's starts to become a, a, a consensus, in theory, I, I think the gap between front and back, which is about two and a half seconds at the moment, if you compare a Mercedes to a Haas, Yeah, you'd expect that to close down, but I think um, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it's bigger than that at the start. Um, So, yeah, yeah, I think you've got to distinguish between what we're going to see in the early doors and uh, what what, what we're going to see it stabilised down to.
1: Gary, obviously you've been through plenty of rule changes as a designer. What's it like when you're in this phase and maybe you're sitting on a a clever design idea? I guess a good example was in 96 with the, the cockpit size, where it was actually, it was, I think it was pretty much yourself at Jordan and Adrian Newey at Williams that worked out the sensible interpretation of the regulations and had a much more elegant solution than the kind of armchair-like Ferrari at the other end of the, uh, of the spectrum. When you have an idea about that, is there a degree of excitement about the fact you think, yeah, actually, that's something we think others might have hit on, but we might actually be out on our own with a clever idea here?
2: Um, yes, it is. I mean, the way the regulations are written now, you do have to put forward your different interpretations, I suppose you might call it, to the FIA. Um, but with the, with the rollover bar situation, it wasn't quite like that because you had to do the rollover bar tests. So the FIA were coming to our, to our workshop to sort of visually see the test being done on the rollover bar. So we didn't tell them how we went about it. We let them see how we went about it. Um, and there was no complaints that they did all the tests properly so that was slightly different in the in the fact that it was a um, yeah a, a visual thing that basically the fia could see from from day one so we didn't have to try to interpret it currently you're going to have to try and put it down on paper um what you're doing that's maybe different and as i say if you read through the regulations um there are just a few little areas where you you know i, I find that you can you can tweak things a bit here and there um, and stay within the rules. And 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 I think, to be honest, if you sort of find a solution somewhere and you do put it forward to the FIA or to F1 or whoever's looking after it nowadays, because there seems to be some controversy appearing about that as well, um, you will get knocked back quite quickly. Because I think they do want to knock people back initially to make sure the cars are built for the intention of the regulation, which is to try to make them better in traffic. Uh, in traffic means in, in a race situation so that, you know i think that the f1 and fia would like to see at least half of the season where the the cars are actually built to the rules that have been researched and see if they see if the solutions work um, so i don't think there's much room right at the moment to do something way out wacky um both in the way the rules are written and in the and getting them clarified so uh i think mark's right in what he says you know what we see at the beginning of the season definitely won't be what we see going into twenty twenty three or or even the end of twenty twenty two, but it will give us a a good interpretation as to what people saw whenever they tried to sort of research the car, what what the vision was from you know whenever we consider it, there's you know there's ten teams, there's a hundred probably engineers at each team averaged out to coming up with ideas. There's a thousand people going to be firing ideas on, onto a, onto a car package um, that two or three people were probably responsible for research. And so it's a very difficult task that they've had to try and come up with these set of regulations. Um, and I don't envy them that either. But at the end of the day, competition is competition. It doesn't matter what you've got. There's still competition. You know, look at athletics. You know, there's a there's a winner in a 100-meter race. There's a winner in a 4,000-meter race. There's a winner in a, you know, 10,000-meter race. It's just that, that, that the rules are different
1: for each, uh, each discipline. So, Mark, if you had to have a punt and say what the most likely scenario is, would you expect to see a relatively similar competitive order, by which, I mean, it might shuffle around a bit, but you'll still see broadly the teams that we're familiar with at the front up towards the front and the ones familiar with down towards the back in that sort of vicinity. We won't see, say, you know, a Haas suddenly leaping to the front.
0: I would hope we see Haas joining the pack again, rejoining the pack. Um, but yeah, there's probably a little bit of shuffling. I would imagine, um, and you, I don't know. You might you might see a, somebody get a, a, an early head start, but I think it'll be a small one, and a, um, I think it'll be you know quite visually obvious where it's come from. So. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see the grid turned upside down. No, but um, I'm, I'm hoping there'll be some shuffling because that midfield pack is so this year was so tightly packed. It wouldn't take much to to change the order there, and I would hope that that big, it's still, it's still a sizable gap between Mercedes and Red Bull at one end and the the, the midfield behind that. I would, I would hope that sort of um, at least closed up a lot. Um, enough that uh, different circuits might give different orders.
1: It's interesting, Mattia Bonotto was recently talking about the importance of the start of next season, not just casting it as the significance of needing a strong car from the off, but also how quickly they can adapt, as in they'll see what everyone else's solution is. There'll be lots of new ideas when the cars break cover in February. So it's also about absorbing the different concepts that people have approached their cars with and working out whether they could have any application on your own car and then setting your future direction that's that's going to be important. So interesting to see how people react. But, Mark, looking at the the cars themselves, these are the most prescriptive rules in F1 history. Very, very dense rule book. I think it's 172 pages of technical regulations last time. So from what you're hearing, how much variety will there be across the field in terms of the car design?
0: Well, when F1 revealed its generic 2022 car at the British Grand Prix, pretty much every team said in response, oh, our, our car doesn't look anything like that, which I, I found quite um, hopeful. So I, I doubt that everybody's car is going to differ from that one in the exact same way. It seems unlikely, doesn't it? So I'm quite hopeful we'll be able to distinguish between them, even if a lot of the surfaces the upper body work are prescribed. Yeah, there the, the will be enough for us, for, for the you know, for the, the nerds and geeks among us to, to, to understand that uh, that's a a Red Bull and, and and that one's a McLaren and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but in terms of what they're like to drive, I've spoken to a few drivers who've tried the the, the the sim versions of these cars. And the consensus seems to be that they have a massive amount of downforce in the fast corners, but are a bit of a clumsy handful in the slow ones. And that the, um, the, where the current cars are so very refined is apparently it's in the transition of, of, of the aero where the, Maintaining the downforce through like a long corner, and apparently these ones they they just don't have that, and so there's a, there's apparent they need a bit of manhandling when when the when the flow changes. Um, they're also quite a lot stiffer generically, and uh, mechanically stiffer. So probably going to be a bit more physical to drive. Um, so yeah, I think it, it sounds to me it sounds quite quite promising from the the initial feedback.
1: Yeah, it's interesting from that Silverstone show car. I get the impression that that's quite an accurate car on the sort of macro level, shall we say, in that if you were to stand a reasonable distance from all the cars, they will broadly look like that. But as soon as you get into the sort of micro level and start looking at the detail, there's loads of different areas. I had a few people who had a pretty good idea of what what their own designs would be doing, pointing out little areas where there's some significant differences and yeah the driving side will be interesting Pierre Gasly actually said that he thinks it's going to be a little bit more difficult to place the cars because of those there's that sort of it's not really a full wheel cover but there's a, a fin over the front wheels that actually does cut out some of the visibility along with the fact that the wheels are fairly chunky as well being the uh, being the, the, the 18 inches so that, that'll be another challenge for them maybe a little bit, a bit like Fangio in the mercedes streamliner at silverstone where you can't quite see the wheels to place it but gary does what mark described there tally with what you'd expect from these regulations in terms of the the cars that would be spat out by the design process
2: um yeah i think i agree with the the low speed to high speed and the fact that obviously the 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 underfloor now the the actual tunnel or the throat of the tunnel is further forward now so that it will the underfloor itself will be having a more of a, let's say, 50-50 percentage ratio of downforce for the car, um, as opposed to now because the throat of the tunnel is right at the back, at the leading edge of the rear tyre. So it means that the where the load pressure is on the underfloor is actually quite close to the rear tyre, so it's predominantly rear downforce that the underfloor generates. So that will be spread around the car a little bit more. So I think as you go faster, the car obviously, by definition, loads up and goes nearer the ground and uh, again by definition the ground effect the fact the sides of the car will get closer to the ground will mean that the ground effect tunnels will work harder so you know there will be more downforce produced under the car as the speed range changes which can be a good thing and a bad thing um, you know we the last thing we need is the cars to have more understeer and low speed corners which is what these these current cars have um, you know if you have a car that's balanced well in high speed corners it understeers quite a lot in the low-speed corners, and um, you know with the new regulations, maybe that's not what we need. So it's it's difficult to know until the cars get out there and, and really hit the track. I mean, the sim's one thing, but it's it, it's just a pure load device. Um, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have characteristics, and, and it's the characteristics of all these cars that separate them quite a lot one from the other. The amount of stuff you can do now currently with the front end of the car, as far as lowering it with steering lock has been um, controlled in the new regulations. You can't do as much of that. You can still do some of it because inherently there will be some happen anyway. So rather than saying nothing, you have to say something because that means you don't have to um, outlaw any any potential movement whatsoever. Um, but it's done to a level that will reduce that. And again, the aerodynamic influence from the in my book of the Red Bull, which generates more front-down force with steering lock, um, because of the way they treat the front wing, that's going to be difficult to do as well with the regulations the way they're written. So, um, again, slow corners mean you get more steering lock in the car, which means you can the, those tools. Um, last season were were very valuable to you, whereas this season they're not quite as valuable. It's something that um, you know you're going to have to live with, and you're going to have to build a car that's <clears throat> aerodin- aerodynamically inherently balanced, as opposed to. Um, you know, very different from low speed to high speed because I think it's a problem. You can't, you won't be able to fiddle your way out of it. Cars running stiffer. I mean, they're heavier. Um, The sidewall is reduced a bit. So there's going to be lots of changes and all that sort of stuff. And I I don't think you really see the performance until the car hits the track. I think the simulation is just a bit of a guide for characteristics of the car. So uh, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's all new. It's all different, and we'll see subtle changes here and there, working hard, working better on one car and another. We currently see, you know, in 2021 we saw that as well. You know, the bars board area and that were subtly different from car to car. The characteristics were slightly different. So I'm sure we'll see that again as 2022 progresses, and we'll see teams starting to look at each other and trying to find the best solutions as the season goes past.
1: And just finally on, on this, Mark, what impressions are you getting from speaking to people in teams about who's looking good and who's going well and who might be struggling? Everything I hear from everyone is that, that, that they're all quite happy with what they're doing, but they don't know what the competition is doing. <laughs> exactly. So there seems to be a, yeah. a, a great lot of unknowns there. <laughs>
0: exactly. Everybody's very happy that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're progressing according to their own internal targets, but they've no idea if they're the right targets. So yeah, it's it's impossible to know how you're doing, really.
1: That's what we like to see. It means it's going to be an unpredictable and interesting start to the season. Of course, the cars will start running in February in Barcelona and travel restrictions permitting. We will all be there to see how they look and bring you everything you need to know about those new cars. Well, Gary, one of the big changes we have alluded to is that switch to 18-inch wheel rims and low-profile tyres. The final specification of the tyres ran in the post-Abu Dhabi Grand Prix test in December. Designed to be less temperature-sensitive, allow drivers to push hard throughout a stint whilst allowing that degradation that makes for strategic variety. The feedback on them from drivers has actually been quite positive. So what are you expecting from these new tyres?
2: Well, they are—you know—they are all very different. To be honest, Um, it's not just as simple as a a, as a—you know—we're changing the eighteen-inch rims and that's it. Um, When you consider the cars are actually much heavier. um, This year, the minimum weight limit was what seven hundred and fifty-two kilograms, I believe, and for next year now it's seven hundred and ninety-five kilograms. So that's you know that's forty-three kilograms extra. The car's going to have to. um, The tires are going to have to sort of produce cornering force for and that's not never easy um
1: and about 11 kilos of that comes from the increased weight of the of the tires and wheel rims as well
2: <laughs> yeah well that's the, that's the problem isn't it you make things bigger it's not just the fact that it's an, you know it's the same tire and it's just a, a an 18 inch rim the actual the tires this year the dry tire um front and rear is 670 millimeters diameter uh, maximum and next year's a 725 diameter so you know that's what fifty-five millimeters bigger tire for next year. Um, if you and if you equate that to circumference, it's it works out it's sort of eight percent more tire tread you have just because of the diameter. So the tires are getting eight percent bigger. The weight the, the weight increases five five percent more. So those two sort of equate each other. So it's a, it's a fact that you put more weight on it to you put bigger tires on it you get more weight you put more weight in the car because you can't build the car to the weight limit and so it's a spiral where does it end up at Uh, i don't really know but that 43 kilograms that the car is heavier you know in our normal thing of 0.3 of a second for 10 kilograms that's you know that's 1.2 seconds 1.3 seconds slower immediately just from the weight never mind anything else just the weight of the car would equate to being 1.3 seconds slower so It's it's all a bit of a spiral, I think. You know, the the front tyres can be fractionally narrower than they are this year if you wanted to. Fractionally narrower than they were in 2021 if you wanted them to be. The rear tyres are the same width. Um, So it's all all down to fudging around that black bit of rubber that goes on the track. And I don't, although the tyres are bigger, I don't think that the advantage against the weight will be enough to actually make them better. And again, if you've got that size, overall diameter of tire, and then the 18 inch rim, you haven't actually reduced the sidewall as much as you think. Um, you know, The sidewall itself now is, uh, I think it ends up just over an inch smaller in the sidewall, 25 millimeters, 30 millimeters smaller in the sidewall than currently. So, you know, it's all a, a package that goes together, but the, the tires, the wheel sizes, um, I'm not sure I understand that. And again... You know, we, we keep talking about the drag of the tyres as something like 45% of the car's drag. With those bigger wheels, that goes up another 3%. So that's that's something you can't do very much about. Um, you know, you can work on drag of the car in other areas, but if that's true, you know, if it does go up 3% and it's 45 that's 48 almost 50% of the car, drag of the car comes from the, the wheels and tyres. Um, you've only got 50% of the drag of the car that you're hundred design engineers can actually operate on and try and optimize, try to make a car quicker in a straight line than another car. And when you get a situation like that, it all plays down to the to the power unit. You know, it puts priority in that area for, for performance as opposed to uh, chassis performance. So um the tires are going to be a big thing. I'm the driver's saying they're happy with them. I'm I'm quite worried about that statement because the car characteristics from the 2021 cars Will be quite a lot different from the 2022 cars, and also that that extra weight is going to be a, a major, major part of it.
0: I've got it in just to interject there. Interesting sort of question in my head. I'd like to put to Gary is just that in. We saw with the Mercedes this year, we were obviously working pretty hard on getting the diffuser to stall with the, the rear suspension and everything. Um, how how feasible is it going to be to to, to do that with with this new aero is it, is that still going to be a thing or is it going to be more difficult to achieve with those big venturis
2: i think it's going to be much more difficult to achieve with those big venturis but also because the the throat of the venturi is much further forward on the car um and in reality if the, the venturi being bigger will mean that the, the diffuser doesn't want to stall as easily because it's working hard, it can work harder before it does stall so I, I think that that might be something that you might not see happening next year. You know, whenever we had the, the proper ground effect cars with the side skirts and all that sort of stuff, we used to talk a lot about porpoison. Porpoising was never the, the, the throat of the car would get, the throat of the underfloor would get very close to the ground. And then it would stall, and then it would bounce up, and then it would regrip grip and come down and stall again and bounce up. So the thing with any, any stall that you have on the car is that you don't, ever want the, the reduction in downforce to be more than the rest of the car is is increasing by. So the car never bounces back up again. Um, so I think with was the ground effect cars I don't see that I don't see the stall being able to be managed in the way you can manage it now because at the minute it's all rear downforce that you're you're killing. Uh, obviously the drag's very imp- is is good because you the drag reduction is good, but it's rear downforce you're killing but still the rear wing is making more normally than the downforce that you're losing from the underflow. So the car doesn't stall and then bounce up. It actually stalls and just doesn't go down as much, um, which is a big thing. So yeah, that's going to be a challenge for next year's car for sure.
1: And actually connected to that, Gary, obviously these cars are much simpler in terms of what you can do aero-wise, all the sort of flicks and the vastly complex barge boards, all these flow conditioners. The actual control that teams will have over what the airflow is doing and setting up the vortices and like all these little details that they're sort of playing tunes with in terms of making the car work most of them have gone away so is that just stuff that will be lost or do you think there's ways to claw that back with the bits of the car you can work with or is it just going to be a slightly less refined car aerodynamically fundamentally because you can do so much less
2: well that i mean that's the intention of the regulations to try to make the aerodynamic surfaces much more robust um, and to make them so that in turbulence, in traffic, during a race, the, the, the following car isn't influenced as dramatically. So if the homework's been done correctly, then that's that's a good solution. However, as I keep saying, there's you know average of 100 engineers influencing this thing, 10 teams, 1,000 engineers going at it to try to find solutions that the two or three people that wrote the regulations didn't find. And I, you know, there will be solutions in there. Those those turning veins underneath the leading edge of the floor, the throat, you know, I, I worked in IndyCar for a while and we had those. They're, they're an IndyCar sort of handover. Um, they're massively str- powerful, massively powerful. Just the curvature, the detail of it, the trailing edge detail. So again, you know, they will replace some of what the barge boards, well, they will replace what we think the Sort of when we did call a barge board a barge board, actually produced, which is going back a few years. What we have now in the cars is is just ridiculous. Um what we had in twenty twenty one is ridiculous because it's just all the little turning beams and stuff. There's so much detail in there. So they will they will produce some of that, but they won't produce all of it. So in the end, if it does produce a more robust downforce solution, then that's fine. But if you if you go to qualifying where well, the cars strive to get a clear lap. You know, then that's the that's the actual out performance of that car in clean airflow, the driver wringing its neck, getting everything out of it, and the car that you need to do that and the car that you need for the race with robust uh, um, aerodynamics on it is two different packages altogether. We've seen that for quite a few years. So it's, it's not going to be different next year. It's just going to be, um, it's going to be. You know, it's, it's going to have the same characteristics. Now. So you, you are going to lose downforce with turbulence from another car, but. Um, you know, all these things that you try and patch it up and mean that you lose less. But against the same old, same old thing. You know, with cars, with Formula 1 cars like Monza, producing at a given speed, maybe half the downforce or a little bit more, 60% of the downforce, they do produce it hungry. You know, um, at Monza, the, the cars still suffer from turbulence from another car. So the problem's the same if you've got an aerodynamic projectile going through airflow, it creates forces. And if that airflow isn't good that those forces will will diminish.
1: And obviously a huge amount of effort has gone into refining these regulations to try and make sure that teams don't find too many clever ways around it. But it's going to be great to see what teams actually come up with. I always remember 2009, again, to use that as an example, where they tried to cut back the, the barge boards and that kind of thing. So they create an exclusion zone, and, and the sort of leading teams just realised, well, we can just find a way to repackage the crash structure and chop back the, the side pods and create some new space to, to work in. So uh, that, that's always the way. But, Mark, talking about the objectives of these regulations, the number one objective, according to what Ross Braun has said, is to improve what he's called raceability. We've touched on some of the ways they might improve that. How much more raceable do you think these cars really will be?
0: I think that yeah, I think there will be. I think um the 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 amount of research um over several years it's it's been extensive enough that um I, I think they'll have got the the basics um pretty much to to, to give what the the objectives were. Um I, I'd be amazed if they weren't. The science has been so thoroughly investigated. So yeah, I think actual on track overtaking will be more common. Um but that's not always the same as great racing. Sometimes a great race is is when the slower cars are ahead, and, and then it, it's, it's how the faster one finds a way past, and it, it can of you know can the slower cars somehow stay there? That sometimes makes a great race. Um, and in, in that situation, if the faster one can just sail straight past and pull away, then it, it hasn't improved the racing. But I mean, that's just one example. Races can pan out in a infinity of ways but yeah i think there will be um more uh actual you know on track overtaken and more that the driver can do to 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 get them to get himself track position rather than relying on um, around the pit stops
1: well, this is a good moment to raise your favorite thing gary the drs the drs is still in the 22 rule so it will be used but there's kind of a hope that if these regs work as expected then actually the drs could for the future be dropped because it's no longer necessary Obviously, um, that would be a good thing to see if it can deliver the necessary uh, battling and potential for overtaking without it being too processional. But what do you think the chances are of that paying off?
2: Um, well, I can only hope that the DRS does disappear at some point in time because I, w- I personally love to see some great, r- good racing. Just you know, proper racing driver making uh, decisions and commitment. Um, but maybe the DRS should stay if, that, if it does work out. The cars are good in traffic then maybe the DRS should stay to allow whenever you're more than one second behind another car, you can actually use it in a certain couple of places on the track um, to get to let you catch up to the other people as opposed to using it when you're within one second. I mean, that's just turning it around the opposite direction just to make the racing closer. Um, and lots of this stuff, any of it is artificial. So that's what, you know, I'm not a great artificial lover, you know, making the cars different weights and stuff to just to close the field up was never the right thing. Um, but I, you know, there's nothing like seeing a driver have, you know, the sit de- making the decision and diving down the inside of somebody into a corner and muscling the way past, you know, Max Verstappen has been very good at that. Sometimes he's got criticized by, by it, but whenever we took that uh, situation in, in Abu Dhabi where, you know, Max lifted to let the uh, Lewis through, um, and then there was all the play with the DRS zone. You know, a, a racing driver's objective in life is to pass the car in front of them, and that's what they should be responsible for. So I think that if they did, if they had some races where you didn't use the DRS just to see how it went, you know, exploratory races, allocate it before the season starts and say, no DRS in these three races or whatever, it would be a good solution to to see and if the drivers would up the game and if the teams would try to do to look deeper at their car, to make it better in turbulence. Because both of those factors can happen. But if you've got something there that will put the bandage on it and allow the overtaking to happen, then the team's A will never go down the route of, of not building the fastest car possible, but building the most robust aerodynamic package they can. Um, and the driver will never be put in a position where he, he needs to sort of, the, the overtaking manoeuvres are down to him. You know, it's, it's, it's it, it needs to be tried to force the teams and the driver into the position of of making the car better to suit that circumstance.
1: Yeah, there's going to be a lot of analysis going into the kind of racing that we see with these new cars over next season, and that will set the sort of future direction as well. And, of course, this is just the, the kind of first iteration of this drive to improve the raceability, so we'll see how well it works. Although, as I always say, they're still objects moving through the air at high speed unless you run in a vacuum you're going to have that problem and if you run in a vacuum you're not going to generate much downforce are you so uh, there's some other practical concerns about that idea uh, as well but yeah this is going to be the big question next year so people have to be realistic about what is possible as well well let's now move on to have a look at some of the drivers who have switched around not a huge amount of changes this year for but the big one, Gary, is George Russell to Mercedes. So can he cut it alongside Lewis Hamilton?
2: Yeah, I think he can. Um, the big question is, can he cut it consistently? And I think that will take more time um, because the one thing that, you know, a top-end driver knows about is that you've got to perform every weekend. You know, Max Verstappen and, and Lewis Hamilton have been exceptional this year in the fact that they come to a race meeting every weekend Um and understand the pressures on them to perform. I mean, they I've not heard them make excuses in any way about, you know, they have an ingrown toenail or something so don't expect too much from him this this weekend. So George is going to have to learn that pressure week in week out. He has shown, I think, with what he's done so far that when he gets in a quick car he's is capable of driving quickly. Um, but the big question for me would be just the fact can he can he keep it up week in week out and and the pressure of of the, the top end team they're there to win races. They're there to win championships. That's a completely different kettle of fish. You know, you've got to, you've got to really respond to that. And, you know, whenever we look through the, the Red Bull saga with Pierre Gasly and and Alex Albon, you know, and, and a few others, um, they, they were never very good at allowing the guys the time to sort of get their feet under the table and really settle down uh, as much as they should have done. But, I think Mercedes are a little bit better at that. And uh, I think that George has been around long enough to try of get himself, his feet under the table well enough to understand a lot of this stuff. But week in, week out, performing beside Lewis Hamilton will be a pressure he's never, ever felt before, ever. So he's going to have to really come to terms with that.
1: Yeah, he certainly justified his place there. And with three years experience, that's good timing for him to go. And obviously, Mark, you've always been a great uh a great supporter of the quality of russell's ability said that he's basically operating at the level of a front-running driver just in a in a poor car are there any doubts in your mind any boxes he still has to tick alongside Hamilton? uh to, to, he just hasn't had the chance to to tick before
0: not really i mean i, I absolutely take gary's point you've got to be producing at, at every every single weekend and you can't you can't just disappear whereas when you're in a a Williams and it's down near the back of the field you can and it was a similar situation that um Charles Leclerc had when he had that great rookie season in, in the Sauber, and was immediately promoted to Ferrari that's what you know we're all saying yeah he looks fantastic but you know there, there were a few weekends where he just he did just disappear and he won't be able to do that at Ferrari and in fairness he didn't he he, he performed um, at the level that we expected him to And I think it'll be the same with George It will be a challenge, it won't be easy um, But I think he has it within him to to rise to that challenge And I, I think it's going to be fantastically exciting Seeing him and Lewis um, paired together And I think it's going to be a much bigger contest An in-team contest than it ever was with Lewis and Valtteri
1: Gary, would you foresee that contest causing any problems? Obviously Lewis Hamilton has had it all his own way while Valtteri Bottas is there, and that's down to the fact that he was just a better all-round driver than, than Valtteri Bottas. So that kind of took care of itself. But, but do you think we could see a return to something like what we saw in the Hamilton-Rosberg days when there was a little bit more aggravation? Because you've got a young driver who's going to want to prove themselves and assert the established star, and the established star who'll want to reassert himself as the team leader.
2: Yeah, for sure. You know, they're 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 both going to be wanting to occupy the same same bit of track at some point in time. And it's it's down to who who yields the most. And, you know, George is not going to want to do that because he's he wants to, as you say, exert his muscle. Um and Lewis is not going to wanna to do that because he knows that it's all those situations that mount up to a championship. So at the end of the day, I think we've got to be looking at that a bit, you know, fairly closely not to judge it too dramatically because, you know, without doubt there will be potentially a little bit of argy-bargy. I mean, I think the the hamilton Rosberg thing, it, it went on for a few years. There was a few close calls, you know, between the two of them, a little bit of a touch here and there that, that was okay, um, acceptable. But then obviously the one in Barcelona highlighted that, you know, it's, it's, that was too much. Um, so I think the, the close calls between George and Lewis will happen for sure. And it's about respect then between the two of them as to, you know, Lewis not using the well, I'm the I'm the you know, seven times world champion, I'm the big boy here. You know, I've been here for years. Get out of my way. And George needs to be careful not to say, Well, I'm the young boy here and I'm I'm the future, so get out of my way. So it's it's one of those sort of things. I think each one will have to be judged. There will be happenings, each one has to be judged independently. And I, I hope they're the initial Rosberg-Hamilton skirmishes that we've seen, which is, is good racing, um, and not the, the Barcelona-Rosberg-Hamilton skirmish, which wiped the two of them
1: out. Well, George Russell's already had the experience of colliding with the Mercedes at Ibola last year, so uh, perhaps he'll have learned from, uh, from that one as well. Uh, but Mark, there's, there are three other driver moves, Valtteri Bottas and Guan yu to Alpha, Alex Albon at Williams. Which one of those three moves are you most interested in?
0: Uh, probably Alex, actually, I mean we know valtry's um, level he's very good, and we know um those Zou, um coming in as a rookie in that team and it's got a good sort of barometer to be measured against with Valtteri. but it's it's with the best will, will in the world it's not likely to be um happening up the front and all same with with Williams as well, but I think with Alex, it's going to be interesting to see him have a second bite of the cherry because. You know, putting in his, um, he hadn't even completed his rookie season before he was alongside Max Verstappen in a Red Bull, and that just it was a tricky car. It was um, very much um, developed around Max's uh, way of driving, and you know, it had that inherent rear instability which Max was able to use to his advantage, and which everybody else had drove that car. Alongside him, found very difficult, and if you look at what Pierre Gasly has achieved since getting in a more conventional car, I think it will be interesting to see Alex um, sort of rebuild his F1 career in a um, in an environment where he's potentially uh, looked upon to 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 lead it to to give it direction. So um, I think he's there is a very good driver in there. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Constantly, sort of, um, his confidence was eroded um, through that constant comparison with Verstappen, the, the the pressure that was there to to be closer to him, to 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 be able to use him strategically in support of Max. And I think that's what lost him the Red Bull drive. But I think there's enough promise within within Alex's overall performance that I think there's. there's we haven't seen the best of him yet, and I think if he he and Williams can develop together, it, it, it could be uh, quite interesting.
1: Gary, looking at Bottas to Alfa Romeo, obviously an experienced driver coming from a big team, you have cautioned before about the the fact that sometimes a driver can come in from a bigger team with a load of experience and just say, well, it was like this there, therefore, and that can be counterproductive. But what potential value could Bottas have to Alfa Romeo, particularly seeing as that's a team that's... Does seem to have a little bit of a way to go to get itself sharpened up. There's a lot of errors across the board over the course of, of 2021. So, would you expect Bottas to have a net positive effect, or do you think there could be a problem with him not necessarily accepting that it isn't Mercedes and things will work differently, and you can't expect everything to be at the same level?
2: Um, well, I think he's got to, the first thing he's got. He himself has got to accept is that it's you know what he's, what he's got now is a downgrade. It isn't Mercedes for sure. But you know, I think if he brings in the Mercedes characteristics to the team, the driving characteristics, um, that'll be that'll be a positive. And saying that, one of the reasons, one of the reasons saying that is that Kimi was one of these guys that, although an excellent driver, always you know race weekend he was on it. He wasn't involved with the team that much. Just trying to, trying to help them with uh, with anything else outside of driving the racing car as quickly as he could. So I think that they'll get more from Valtteri that way, and then it's up to the team to whether to accept to use it or not use it. Um, these cars, you know, whenever I criticised the past when people come in with so much from other teams that they had driven so much information in their head, um, the cars were very simple. You know, they were basically a racing car with four wheels on them. These cars are so complicated. So the things that Valtteri can bring is, is you know, lots and lots of stuff about how their braking system fails, works, um, how they you know harvest and how they they uh generate the power um where they use it at in the trial lots of lots of that stuff that basically you know you can easily slip up on and be losing a tenth here and a tenth there before you really use the car you've got. So I think he will be a positive thing for Sauber as you say Sauber need to up their game in, in many areas, uh, in nearly all areas. And I think he can be positive for that. But he himself has got to accept that he's not ju- going to jump into a, a a Mark II Mercedes as such. It's going to be definitely a, a, an Alfa Romeo, or as we know, run by Sauber. So he's got to accept that's going to be like that. He's also got a new driver in there who's, you know, he's he's going to be a bit like, you know, wanting to show all his worth in the first year because he's coming with a, a lot of money. Um, so he's got to justify that to his sponsors back home. He's he's going to want to get results as well, so the competition is going to be tough for him. Um, and, and Alex Alban, I agree with Mark. You know, it'd be great to see him get into a more conventional car. And I think you know, I, I really do rate Alex Alban quite highly. So it'd be interesting to see how he how he takes that. He's getting a second chance. Not many Formula One drivers get a second chance. He's getting a second chance now in a team that's building for the future. So with a bit of luck, it will be positive for him. Um, but Valtry's just got to accept that. It, this Alfa Romeo is not is not a Mercedes and now it's about doing the best he can.
1: And speaking of Guan Yu Mark, what do you expect from him? He's got to be a good shout for rookie of the year, hasn't he? Uh,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah. There's not much competition there, is there? Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, I expect him to be solid and um, to make steady progress through the year. He's, he's shown enough in his Formula 2 career to um warrant uh, a Formula 1 Opportunity is is by no means out of place in in the field, and he seems to be one of these guys that applies himself with intelligence, so I'm sure we'll see constant progress from him and just to
1: bring this all together, a final conclusion from you both, given that twenty twenty one was such a dramatic season, an all time great title rivalry went all the way down to the last race, regardless of how you feel about how it ended. It was an amazing story. From start to finish. Can 2022, with all these changes, possibly live up to 2021? Gary, we'll start with you.
2: Yeah, I think so. Um I don't see why, you know, a team that knows what they want to get from a car, characteristic-wise, even the regulation change will, will allow them to operate in that in that same manner and and get those characteristics out of the car. So I don't see why Mercedes um Red Bull as i said hopefully ferrari can join that club and, and even mclaren i don't see why those four couldn't be having major battles at the front they've all got you know good drivers in the cars yeah um daniel car daniel ricardo needs to find a, a better lap time against norris but norris will 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 do an exceptional job at mclaren he's growing all the time so those those four teams from my point of view should be offering us a lot of competition hopefully some other teams will join them as well and be biting at their heels. But I, I don't see why it shouldn't be a good year. I just hope it doesn't have the politics that 2020, 2021 had. I'd love to see the racing. I'd love to see the argy bargy, the fighting going on, but just drop all that backroom stuff because that just makes a mess of it all. You know, it just is, it's, I'm just not interested in that sort of stuff at all.
1: Well, Mark Gary's suggested a part two to the Verstappen-Hamilton title battle with a bigger supporting cast, which sounds pretty exciting. What do you think? Do you have high expectations for this year?
0: I, th- I think we'd be lucky to have um, another season is where you go into the final round on equal points. But, um, yeah, I, I expect a contest. I'm hope, cautiously optimistic that we'll have more than two teams um, fighting um, for, for race wins. And I don't think it'll be quite as... Um, binary as uh, the season just gone so I think the dynamic will be quite different and I think the things that make it interesting will be quite different Um, but whether it ends up quite such a vintage one who knows.
1: That's the thing every season has its own story doesn't it and I'm sure 2022 will be just as story, does 2021 but as gary suggested perhaps a little bit less politics would be no bad thing thanks very much gary anderson and mark hughes for your insight do head to the race.com and don't forget the hyphen plenty to read there about the upcoming F1 season. It won't be long before we start seeing new cars and are heading off for testing. Also check out our sister podcast including Bring Back V10s which Mark and Gary both regularly appear on and also have a look at our videos on YouTube. We'll be carrying on throughout the pre-season in 2022 so stay with us for everything you need to know about the F1 season that's to come.